Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to this week's episode. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about the brand new, recently unveiled Galaxy S23 line. And we're talking about my impressions of the M2 Pro MacBook Pro. All right, on to topic number one. So last week, Samsung had their Galaxy Unpacked event, I guess their first one of 2023. And as is typical fashion, they unveiled their S23 phone. So we got the S23, the S23 Plus, the S23 Ultra. And, you know, we've talked about this lineup of phones a few times on the podcast already because everything pretty much leaked about them, Mm -hmm. right? There was the design leaked and then the specs leaked and Everything that leaked seemed to be true, right? Uh, especially when it comes to the design, right? The camera bump that was kind of on the back of the phones, you know, from S21 and S22, it's now gone. And it's essentially just the actual camera, you know, lenses or camera elements themselves that kind of poke out the back of the phone. So it's a lot more minimalist. It looks a lot more like the s 23 ultra because you know before the s23 or i guess the s22 ultra looked very different when you compared it to the s22 and s22 plus so now all of their phones kind of share the same design language the s23 ultra as we said in the past you know it gets 200 megapixel sensor that was leaked we saw that come in everyone saw that come in and uh yeah so not too many surprises at this event i guess the one thing that was, I don't know, not a huge surprise, but uh, they came out with their Galaxy Book 3 Ultra, which, you know, the Galaxy Book 3 devices, their, their flagship laptops, but they now have an Ultra line for their Galaxy Book. So it's, say, you know, their whole thing was Ultra is the best that we have to offer. This is the best of the best. And yeah, I don't know. Nothing too exciting, if you ask me. I like the phones. Nothing too exciting in terms of specs because we do everything. In terms of design was too exciting. But we got a Galaxy Book Ultra, which I guess is cool. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the event? Yeah, so I didn't watch the event. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where I, I from Samsung events in the past, I, I've found them kind of boring and they kind of drag on quite a bit. And they start talking about things that, I don't think most people find all that important. Like we want to get to the details of like what these new products are. And I think the reason for that is Samsung releases so many products throughout the year that have all these little incremental steps that especially in a year where a phone isn't going to change the world in terms of what it, what's different between this year and last year, they kind of have to start talking about things that aren't really all that important. And Apple does this a little bit too, but they they're really good at being able to, you know, play up something like cinematic mode, like a piece of software or a dynamic island uh, in a presentation to get people excited, even though I'm still one of those people who think a lot of those features are very much gimmicky kind of things that don't need to be talked about. I think Samsung can kind of get lost in the same kind of conversation. That being said, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are a little bit bored by these devices, but I actually think these devices are, are, more interesting than maybe we give them credit for in today's landscape of cell phones. Because if you compare something like the S23 base level and the S23 Plus, there are some design decisions there 
that are different from last year like you know a little bit less of a curve on the the metal rails and stuff like that or you know the difference between the camera bumps and a really significant updated significantly updated chip compared to last year which is something we didn't see from the base level iPhones this year you know so in a year of where phone you know new phone models have been relatively boring especially in the the flagship phones of the year like an iPhone I think Samsung has done a really good job of of making these phones seem cool because the reality is if you have an S22 you're not getting an S23 unless your phone broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is for people who are looking to upgrade from a phone from a while ago. So you are getting a slightly different design. You are getting different, uh, a more minimalized camera kind of feature on the back. You are getting an updated chip that's significantly more powerful and significantly more power efficient, which are all things you did not get on the new iPhones. So uh, yeah, I, I actually kind of kind of like what the the line of these phones have done. But I do have some criticism as well. Like, obviously, it's still not the most exciting thing. And I think what kind of really lets it down for me is if you're not going to do a huge redesign of these phones in terms of the design or or like a new software or hardware feature that's going to get people excited, um, do something cool with the colors. And they didn't do that here. We got the same lavender from last year. We got the cream. We got the phantom black. Um, and we got a new green, which is cool. I kind of like the green, but you know, I, it felt like they could have done something a little bit cooler with these colors. And there are some exclusive colors on samsung.com where you can get this, like this lime green color, uh, that almost reminds me of like, a maybe like, like a, a, a Nike lime green that, that, you know, they kind of had that, that signature color, um, in the past, at least in the nineties. Um, and like a graphite gray. Both of these colors are, in my opinion, still kind of boring. Um, they're not really all that interesting. So it's, I don't know, it's its one of those things where I wish if they weren't going to do something crazy with the design, at least try to do something with the, with the colors of the phones to kind of make them a little bit more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But I also do want to give an extra shout out to the S23 Ultra. Once again, minimal design changes from last year, but... I think their their rationale for the changes that they've made to this phone makes sense. So uh, if anyone remembers, Samsung does this interesting thing where their screens kind of curve over the edges. And it, it started with the Galaxy Edge back in the day where it's just one side that curved and it was a really dumb, weird device. But then they kind of brought that into their main line with the Galaxy S6 Edge and stuff like that where these the screen would kind of curve over the edges and make these really minimal side bezels. Um, the waterfall edge. Waterfall edge, they yes. It. Yes, and there used to be like some features that you can have with that where you'd have like some apps that you could drag in from the side and you'd get like some notification stuff. Kind of similar to what uh, the Surface Duo 2 uh, has done where when the display is closed, you can kind of see a little bit of the edge of the display where you can get some notification information. Samsung used to do that back in the day as well. But, you know, it's not necessarily the most usable and especially on a device where you have a pen. So what they did this year is they talked about, okay, we're still going to have the glass curve. Um, so it's like this kind of seamless thing, which I, is something I've always really liked in, in premium phones, where it's almost like a seamless transition from the glass of the screen to the metal rails on the side. It makes it feel very smooth and very premium, but they kept the screen still flat. So when you're using the S Pen on the screen, it doesn't feel like your pen is going to slide off the screen. 
it's still a pretty flat kind of surface, which I think is is kind of cool. And that's the logic that they brought for why they made this change. And I think it makes sense. And overall, I do think the S23 Ultra's design and the S22's Ultra's design, which is just a, a Note design, essentially, um, the mm-hmm. Note 20 and the Note, I guess, 10, the, that design that they just carried forward. I think it's a great design. And I hope, I shouldn't say I hope, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad if they brought this design to the Galaxy S series, like the S23 and the S23 Plus um, in the future, because I just think it's a really nice uh, utilitarian kind of design for a phone um, that looks good as well. So, yeah, I, I think all these devices are pretty cool. Um, the specs, I think, are interesting here. So the S23, uh, the base level, it's a nice, small, compact phone. And I think we've talked about in the past, we've liked the fact that they've gotten these uh, these more compact phones, you know, as their base level, kind of similar to the base level iPhone. Um, mm. But yeah, you, you know, you get things like 8 gigabytes of RAM between the S23 models up to 12 gigabytes in the S23 Ultra. You get the 50 megapixel main camera on both the base level S23 to, uh, phones, so the S23 and S23+. Plus. The one big difference between the S23 and the S23 Plus is the S23 Plus starts with more storage. So it starts with 256 gigabytes of storage over the 128, um, and it has faster charging. So it has 45-watt charging uh, support as opposed to 25-watt charging support on the S23 base. So the S23 Plus has 45-watt. The base has 25-watt. And the Plus also has a larger battery with 4,700 milliamp hours. So some small changes here, but just remember, none of these phones come with chargers in the box anyway, so kind of frustrating in that way. But uh, if anything, I think this is interesting because the S23 Plus and the S23 Ultra have more in common, whereas they both have the 45-watt charging. They have similar battery sizes with 4,700 milliamp hour for the S23 Plus, 5,000 milliamp hour for the S23 Ultra. But the big difference between the two, and I'm kind of curious to get your impressions here on, on whether or not you think this is going to uh, kind of work in terms of a, a being a great camera. But like I mentioned, the base level S23 phones have a 50 megapixel camera, but the Ultra has a 200 megapixel main camera. Uh, I don't know what that means. I mean, Samsung has tried these these high megapixel counts in their cameras before with mixed success. Do you think this is potentially the year that they pull it off and, and the 200 megapixel camera is you know far better than than a lot of the competition out there because some of the early impressions seem to be really impressed with this camera overall. I, yeah, I think this is the year that they make a big jump in terms of their camera performance. I mean, for some time previously, they were one of the best cameras out there, mm-hmm. right? It was always between Apple and some Samsung as to which would take the better pictures. But then Google came out with their Pixel line and they completely changed everything. But for the past while, you know, Samsung hasn't been as good. Not to say that they take bad pictures, just not as good as the other two. Yeah. So I think, I mean, with this large 200 megapixel sensor, it's not taking 200 megapixel photos. It's mostly been down to, I think, 16. It's mostly been in 16 pixels together. So it's going to take like 50 megapixel photos. But it's just those 50 megapixel photos will be... They'll have a lot more information. They'll be able to take in a lot more light. So when you compare like a 50 megapixel from the S23 Ultra to the S23 Plus, it should look better on the S23 Ultra. Mm-hmm. One thing we didn't mention, you know, these 
are all using Snapdragon 8 Gen 2s, but the Ultra actually has like an overclocked version. So it's an, I think they marketed it as the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 for Galaxy, which is only going to be on the Ultra. So it's, you know, there's nothing different architecturally with the chip, but it's been overclocked. So it has higher capabilities than the S23 Plus will, than the S23 will. So, I mean, with that alone, I would expect to see some better camera performance. But now, all with the overclocked chip, you know, with the 200 megapixel sensor, I'm expecting to see even more camera performance. Yeah, I don't know. I th- I'm looking forward to see the full reviews of these and to see how well the camera has improved compared to the last generations and to see if they finally close the gap to a, a Google and close the gap to an Apple. Mm. And I think another, a couple other things that they brought, I believe it's 8K at 60 frames per second, which is coming to the first, for the first time to, uh, to Galaxy phones. I think to most phones, really. I think, you know, kind of the standard right now is 4K. So, I mean, the fact that they're filming things in 8K, I don't even think that the Samsung Galaxy can play things in 8K. So you're going to have to export that to a computer that can handle that or export it to some other device that can handle it. Also, so the selfie camera was 40 megapixels on the S22 Ultra. It's been downgraded to 12 megapixels. So that's an interesting thing also. Bump up the rear camera. You kind of bump down the selfie camera, I guess, maybe from their experience. They've seen that, hey, people don't care as much about taking selfies. You know, people are using their rear cameras a lot more. Or maybe their image processing has just gotten better with selfie cameras. And they're like, hey, we don't need as big of a sensor. Because, you know, you see people like the likes of Google, where on their Pixel 6a, they actually went back to the old camera sensor that they've been using for years and years and years. And it's still spitting out really great photos. When you look at MKBHD's blind camera phone test, Right, that was one of the best. I think it was number two or number one in terms of voting, and that's a sensor that's probably like five years old, a twelve megapixel that's five years old, and it's all just thanks to the image processing that they do after the fact. So, mm. yeah, I mean, maybe twelve megapixels is all you really need to take a good photo, and two hundred megapixels is what you need to justify selling new phones year after year after year. Yeah, I, I think that's that's one hundred percent it. I think, and I. I I wouldn't be surprised if the 200 megapixel cameras get you fantastic shots just because of how versatile it can be. Because even, you know, they talk about the zoom features, right? You still get the three times optical zoom. So not digital, mm-hmm. but optical zoom. You also get a 10 times optical zoom on um, the S23 Ultra with that 200 megapixel camera, as well as their, you know, 100 times space zoom, which is a digital zoom, so to speak. And I guess you can take advantage of those features with those those high-end cameras on the rear. But when it comes to a selfie, what you really need, because you're not holding it really all that far from your face, what you really need is the ability to capture a lot of light. And I imagine the smaller megapixel count and the larger pixels, especially for a camera that's that or a camera sensor that's that small, I imagine that's much more valuable than the higher megapixel count. So maybe it could have been a situation where people were starting to notice worse selfies on the higher megapixel count. So they're like, okay, let's let's go backwards. Um, but yeah, I do think that that's really cool. The one thing I will say though, and I, I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on this. In the Galaxy, the last version of the Galaxy Fold, 
the inner screen had the under display camera. Um, that wasn't, isn't very good uh, for taking selfies, but it kind of gave you that all screen look. Do you ever think those under display cameras get to the point where we don't need hole punch cameras anymore? And something like the Galaxy S23 Ultra or the S24 Ultra, S25 Ultra can get a full screen surface where we don't need the hole punch anymore? Or do you think maybe, you know, the under dis- display kind of camera tech, that was a, a, you know, a shot in the dark they took with the with the Galaxy Fold, but the quality just isn't there. Maybe it's not viable for, for phones of this caliber. I don't think it's ever going to get there. Mm. I don't think, yeah. I don't think it's ever going to get there, and I don't think it ever needs to get there. Mm. Like, it's a cool feature. It's cool to say, oh, hey, look, I have a camera on the front, but you can't even see that I have a camera because it's hidden behind the screen, and then it does this cool trick where, you know, it makes the pic. You can see through the pixels, and then we'll take a photo, and then it does all these algorithms and calculations. So, it, you know, you don't see the pic- the pixels in the final photo. Yeah. But when you look at a hole punch camera on a screen it's so small and it's so insignificant and you don't notice it yeah right iphones have notches on the top and people stop noticing them so a hole punch is very easy to stop noticing especially if you're watching any sort of content on your screen or if you're playing any games or whatever you're doing yeah right so i think the hole punch is the perfect thing it's so small. It's so out of the way. Now, whether you put that in the corner or, you know, in the top middle, that's okay. Neither here nor there. But I don't think we will ever get to the point where, you know, an under display screen is as good as just a regular hole punch style. Yeah. And I don't think we need to, especially just on regular consumer phones. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there because it's it's just extra layers for the camera to, to go through and... You know, as someone whose current phone has like a pop-up camera, I wish that was mm-hmm. something that stuck around. You know, there was a short time where OnePlus did it and and uh, Xiaomi did it and Oppo and stuff like that. But it seems like everyone's just gone to the hole punch. And I imagine the popularity of, you know, the iPhone Pro's new pill-shaped notch. Um, maybe we might see more companies copy that as opposed to trying to minimize it, you know, make it a feature as opposed to a bug. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. going forward. And I guess the thing too, right? As camera technology progresses and sensors get, I guess sensors get smaller, but are able to still capture the same amount of light. That hole punch is going to get even smaller and smaller eventually. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe we've kind of reached the limit of, okay, we need a hole at least this size to let in this much light. But yeah, I, uh, I'm fine with hole punches. I don't think we need under display cameras and i guess just to touch on one thing you mentioned earlier thinking that the s23 and the s23 plus or i guess of maybe the s24 s24 plus would eventually start to look more like the ultra or take on the design of the ultra i actually i don't want to see that mm. i like that they're separate i like you know that they're kind of taking hints from the ultra you know, in terms of the camera layout and in terms of becoming more flat and a little bit boxier. But I like that there is a distinction between the S23, the S23 Plus, and the S23 Ultra. Mm-hmm. I think the Ultra is designed perfectly for what it is, which is a Note, right? In their presentation, they even said like, hey, this was inspired by the Note and they had Note on the screen and then like wiped it off. 
and then put S23 Ultra. So they're finally admitting that, yes, this is a Note. We're just calling it an Ultra phone. Yeah. And I like that distinction that this is something different than our regular phones. Yes, it's, you know, the same software. And, okay, we added a couple, you know, an extra camera, an extra sensor here. But this is a Note. You have a pen with it. This is easier to hold in one hand because it's boxier. It's easier to write on the screen because it's more of a rectangle. So, yeah, I, I like the fact that the Ultra is something different. I like that they're sharing the same design language, you know, the same styles and aesthetics. But I like that they're still distinctly different. Yeah. Because then eventually, you know, if we get, let's say, an S24+, plus with the same design, then people are going to say, well, why don't you just give us an S Pen with that too? Yeah. And why don't you give us an S Pen with the S24, just a regular version, right? I mean, if they do that, that'd be great for people that want an S Pen. But then there's also people that are going to say, hey, I just want a regular Samsung phone without an S Pen. I don't want to have to worry about losing this and, you know, getting something stuck in my, in the S Pen silo. So I like that they're distinct while still still clearly related so yeah, i don't know i kind of want them to stay separate yeah yeah i can see that too i think that that makes sense i mean i don't know if, if there's any design change coming in the foreseeable future for the s23 ultra but if they they do redesign it i don't know there's still part of me that really likes the current design and i know it'll get boring after a while but mm -hmm. you know i hope it doesn't go away completely maybe there's there's some kind of phone that they can use that design with or or maybe you know what they just find a way to make it better so yeah i i don't i don't disagree with you at all i i definitely see like yeah it makes sense that the phone looks different and is actually offering you different features to coincide with that look i guess one thing that we haven't dived as deep into is the s or the galaxy book 3 ultra mm -hmm. right this is their ultra their super premium galaxy book it features a 16-inch display, 120 hertz OLED, an H-series Core i7 or Core i9, an RTX 4050 or 4070. I mean, this Samsung laptop is kind of, it's taking aim at the MacBook Pros, right? This is designed for creative professionals. At least that's how they market it, you know, for content creators, for people who are doing graphic editing people doing, you know, photo editing, that sort of thing. And this is essentially, this is the best that you can have for a Windows laptop, right? When you look at a Core i9, when you look at a 4070 laptop GPU, it's a very capable device. And it starts at $2,399. So it's technically $100 cheaper than the base MacBook Pro 16-inch, right? So this is something that obviously... If as long as you're okay in both Windows and Macintosh, you know, or you're okay working in both of those operating softwares, then this is something that you could cross shop against the MacBook Pro. But what are your thoughts on, you know, the, just the raw specs of this device? I know specs are everything, but, you know, when you look at the 120 hertz OLED from Samsung, who makes amazing displays, right? They make displays for everyone else. They make displays for Apple. When you look at the core i9, when you look at the RTX 4070, do you think this, I mean, do you think this has the potential to kind of pull people away from MacBooks and MacBook Pros? No. Um, so this device in particular, I, I find kind of weird. Uh, and it, I think it's going to come down to what reviews say. First of all, it's a 16-inch device. 
I get that that's the new size. I'm not the the biggest fan of that. Razer has been doing that as well as uh, Alienware. They've been going 14 and 16 as opposed to the 15 and 14 inches before and or, or 13 inches, which is fine. I get it. You get more space. But there's two kind of reasons that kind of concern me about this laptop. One, uh, you know, going with Intel processors, fine. I mean, you can usually get a lot more performance for the dollar from AMD right now, although Intel has been been storming back. But then, you know, we're really where you're going to get the biggest difference between these machines and something like a MacBook would be in uh, graphics acceleration. And the chip in this machine, the RTX 4070, I have no idea what that means. Because a, a while ago, NVIDIA, you know, they used to have this thing where it was called Max-Q, which was essentially their mobile uh, uh, GPUs. And there would, you, they use that branding so that you know that that is not the same as the desktop GPUs. Before that, there used to be an M symbol at the end of those GPUs so that you knew it wasn't the same as the desktop. They've completely gotten rid of that in the past couple of generations. So you really have no idea what is actually in these machines. It's a 4070 in name, but it could be the performance of like something like a 3060. And we don't know. So it's it's one of those situations where it's kind of hard to to say if this is really going to be something that performs well. It's a small, thin machine with an i9 and a and a whatever a 4070 means probably means that it's going to be a machine that's going to get hot and it doesn't look like this chassis is big enough to cool something like that although once again that remains to be seen it's just physically i don't understand how they're going to be cooling an i9 and a 4070 but then also for me the biggest issue is going to be with chips like that you know intel has has battled back in terms of performance but what they've really lost especially to amd and even incredibly dramatically to what apple's doing is efficiency these chips are absolutely not efficient in any way mm -hmm. shape or form so if it's a laptop that you want to do work with mobily this is a type of machine that will probably get you like an hour and a half of battery life doing that whereas uh, a macbook pro could get you 10 hours so it's it's going to be orders of magnitude less efficient than a macbook pro and I think that matters. And I think if if you are a person who's going to cross shop these two devices, even for someone who wouldn't, even for someone like me who's would much rather use an, a a, a Windows based device, if I was in the market for a two thousand dollar machine, there is no way I would pick this up over a MacBook Pro. Um, so yeah, it, it's stuff like this that kind of really I don't understand. And then if I go back, the Galaxy Book line doesn't have a great history. Uh, my personal favorite device, the old Galaxy Book, which was uh, based off of the uh, design of the Chromebook Pixel. Um, actually, not the Chromebook Pixel. What was it called? The Galaxy Chromebook. That's what it was called. The Galaxy Chromebook, which was this very thin, boxy, you know, red kind of laptop. They made a blue version called the Galaxy Book that I loved. I, I thought that machine was really cool, but it didn't. It couldn't cool anything properly. It, it was. It was very. It was a very hot machine, and the the internals would throttle very quickly. I think if, if Samsung went back to a design like that and just got really efficient parts to make an everyday laptop, something to compete with something like the MacBook Air, I think that's where they can kind of, you know, um, be a little bit competitive with something like what Apple's doing. But these machines in particular, it's either go for a MacBook or check out what Alienware is doing, check out what Asus is doing, check out what Razer is doing. 
Um, Asus even has some some specifically designed machines for creative work that I think would do a much better job than these these devices. But I think you did bring up a good point where these really do shine is with the screen, and maybe that's a part we can start to see trickle down into other uh, products that aren't Samsung products. Because quite frankly, I don't think they do laptops great. Burn. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I'll I'll put that question back to you. Do you, are you excited by this machine at all? No, definitely not. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not definitely crazy. Definitely not. Yeah, no, you're not crazy at all. You're very sound, very astute. Yeah, it. As someone who's more of a creative laptop user than like I'm not a gamer, mm-hmm. right? Maybe if I was someone who was into gaming, then it's like wow, 120 hertz. You know, wow, 120 hertz OLED. Uh, I think it's like a 2x amoled they actually say uh you know rtx 40 70 whatever that means like you said we don't know if it's a mobile or if it's equivalent to a desktop 3050 or something you know core i9 that'd be great if i was gaming and i was competitively gaming on my laptop and but like you said even then i'm maybe i'll check out alienware maybe i'll check out razor maybe i'll check out asus instead so this doesn't really get me that excited. The fact that it's only $100 cheaper than a MacBook, than a 16-inch MacBook Pro. Well, personally, I'm probably more interested in the 14-inch MacBook Pro. And even if I did, okay, I spend $100 more. I know I'm going to get really good performance because I know what the M2 Pro MacBook Pro does, yeah. at least from reviews and everything. And I'm probably going to get like twice, maybe three times the battery life out of the device. Yeah. Right. Especially once I'm unplugged. I guess this is a perfect segue into our second topic, the M2 Pro MacBook Pro. Now, reviews have been out. Surprise, surprise. Everyone says it's an amazing device. And I actually got my hands on one. I actually got to test one out for some time. And if you didn't notice... On our last podcast, the intros that I did were recorded on the built-in microphones of the M2 Pro MacBook Pro, the 14-inch specifically. You know, we're comparing the Samsung laptop to the 16-inch, but my intros were recorded on the 14-inch MacBook Pro on their built-in speakers, what they call studio-grade speakers. And if you didn't notice anything compared to the regular microphone I use, then hey, they are very good speakers. I think I actually, you know, pulled a little, not not a prank, but I pulled a test on you and you were surprised that those were in fact the built-in speakers also. Um, But I mean, from my time with the laptop, it's an amazing laptop. It's very fast. It has an amazing screen, amazing speakers, amazing build quality because Apple products are very well built. Uh, yeah, um, battery's amazing. I didn't, I think they quote like 18 or 20 hours or something crazy like that. I didn't get that, but it's still amazing battery. And all this, you know, take this with a grain of salt. The MacBook Pro that, you know, I've been using is a 20, mid 2012 MacBook Pro. So it's been like nine years of upgrades or nine or 10 years of upgrades and improvements and incremental improvements and then a big leap when they went from intel to apple silicon so obviously it's better than that macbook but yeah yeah it was a great device Mm -hmm. very well yeah everything you could want in a laptop 
it checked every single box possible except for Windows, right? If you're someone that has to have Windows, at least before they made the switch from Intel to Apple Silicon, if you needed to run Windows, you know, you could set up a parallel and then you could find a workaround and, you know, run bootcamp on your MacBook Pro. But now it's, no, this is strictly a Mac OS device, but a great device nonetheless. But yeah, have you been able to see any reviews yourself? Have you been able to see any reviews or read any reviews? And do you have any questions for me? Yeah, so I actually have a few questions. Um, one, I mean, it goes back to our, our previous conversations about hole punches and, and notches and stuff like that. And a lot of the reviews and even from just, you know, watching people use those machines on YouTube and stuff like that, it does look like that notch disappears most of the time. Is it one of those situations where it's completely not distracting at all and it's not ugly because it just disappears? Or do you notice it in the time that you've used it that that notch is there? It disappears. Okay. Completely. Especially especially with how, I guess, uh, blown away I was by the screen, mm -hmm. it completely dif disappears. Now, as I said, mid-2012 MacBook Pro. So that's actually before they made the change to Retina. So I could, you know, if I wait until the Retina version, then maybe there'd be, no, there still would be a huge change. Yeah. yeah. It's a very remarkable screen just on paper, you know, 14.2 inch mini LED screen. Colors on it are amazing, but coming from the screen that I was using before, it's, yeah, it's, it's not even night and day doesn't do it justice. So I think just the fact that the screen is so bright and the blacks are so dark on it, it completely disappears. And even just from the regular day-to-day -day stuff that you're doing, just, you know, like on browsers, on websites, on, you know, different different stuff like that, you stop noticing the bezels on your regular laptop screen. Mm -hmm. And the, you stop noticing the notch essentially instantly. That's good to, to good to hear. And that actually also answers my, my second question was going to be about the screen. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's one thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about because it has similar specs to the, the pro display XDR in terms mm -hmm. of those, the, the screens that are in these laptops, which I could imagine is, is going to be really impressive. Now there has been rumors that Apple wants to start developing their own, uh, mini led kind of screens, similar tech to the pro display XDR. Does that screen to you, like compared to something like your iPhone, could you see something like that? Um, be put in an iPhone and people not bat an eye, especially if, if people are using OLED right now, do you think it's good enough that it can replace an OLED screen going forward and, and all their devices to be like, okay, no, this is a great screen. You don't really notice a difference. Mm, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. Cause I guess right now their iPhones are OLEDs, right? Yeah. I think it would still be pretty great. Like you would have to be, you would have to be someone who is very familiar with OLEDs to begin with, like all of your devices would have to be OLEDs and you know exactly what an OLED looks like. And then to then switch to a mini LED iPhone. And even then, like you would have to be someone who's very focused on, you know, technology or very cognizant of different technologies and screen technologies. Yeah. So I think they definitely could get away with it. That's, I mean, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, we even talked about the bigger, you know, iPad pros of like when they first announced that it was going to get like a pro display XDR spec screen of just how cool that is. And the one amazing thing about these screens, and I imagine this would be something similar to the Galaxy uh, Book 3 Ultra or whatever. Yeah, the Galaxy Book 3 Ultra is that they're pretty accurate screens, which is great for for professional work. You kind of need screens to be accurate so that, you know, people can 
see what you're seeing when you actually export your photos or your videos or whatever. But okay, so two other questions I had about these machines uh, were about the physical design. So you're, I think you are in a, a position that a lot of people are in that we don't usually see in a lot of reviews of people coming from older 13 inch MacBook Pros looking to upgrade. And a while ago, they made a big change of going from 13 inches to 14 inches and having this larger kind of screen and, you know, these new designs. Did you notice any significant downsides or differences to the size of this device, the weight of this device? And also, you know, those old devices had the typical Apple keyboard that used to be really, really good. And then for a while, they switched over to the butterfly keyboard, which was really bad um, for some people. Some people really loved it, but it had failure issues. Um, and now they're kind of in a middle ground where they have a more traditional keyboard, but it still doesn't have as much travel as the old keyboards. Did you like the keyboard? Do you think the keyboard is good enough to use every day if you're typing up large documents? So I guess those are like my main questions about the physical aspect. Is the size good? Is the weight good? And is the keyboard good? Uh, size and weight, yes as you said, compared to my mid 2012 MacBook, it's actually, it's essentially the same footprint, mm. just a lot lighter. Really? I think my version is 2.06 kilograms. The new design is 1.60 kilograms. Now, when you compare it to the touch bar version, so the one just before they made the switch to the 14 inch. So like even the M1 or I guess, yeah, even the M1 and the M2 MacBook Pros, the 13-inch versions, those weigh 0.2 kilograms less than the 14-inch. Mm. And when you look at the differences, it's like a millimeter here or, yeah, it's a millimeter here, a millimeter there. So it's essentially the same footprint, just 0.2 kilograms of a difference. And then when you compare it to my version from mid-2012, it is much thinner and it's considerably lighter. Mm. But it doesn't, like, this, the footprint's the same compared to the unibody version or compared to the touch bar version, but it shows you how much of a difference bezels make, yeah. bezels can make. Just them reducing the bezels and the notch is, yes, very stupid and it doesn't need to be there. But even with that, it, it's, still a, it's still a massive difference in terms of screen real estate, right? And, you know, we were just talking about the Samsung the Samsung Book 3 Ultra, right? Like, that has a, a very nice screen, 16 inches. We don't know how good the webcam is, but we're going to assume it's pretty decent, right? And it doesn't have a notch. Yeah. It has a thin bezel all the way around. Yeah. So, you know, Apple doesn't need to put a notch in there. Everyone was kind of speculating that after the M1 Pro version came out, when they originally switched to 14 inches, inches, Everyone was saying, oh, well, you know, the next iteration, they're definitely going to put Face ID and then you're not going to need Touch ID to unlock things anymore. They didn't do that. Yeah, It's still just a very large notch, very unnecessary, especially in 2023. I mean, I don't think anyone other than Apple has a notch on their screens. I, I can't think of anyone, at least, I don't know, big laptop manufacturers there's probably someone who did it and then apple saw it like oh yeah hey we actually like that and they stole it and now they're the first ones to do it according to everyone because you know they're apple um but yeah it's it's a great device the only thing or the thing that i like least about it was the notch that being said it disappears very quickly it shouldn't be there mm -hmm. but it does disappear very quickly 
And um, and how about the keyboard? Keyboard, great. Nice. It's yes, I'm used to a keyboard with more travel, but you know, I've used other keyboards with less travel, um, like on Windows laptops. I have the keyboard for my iPad that has essentially no travel, right? So would I like something with more travel? Probably, but like I still have my mechanical keyboard that I could, if I really want to have, you know, a very tactile type and experience, then I could use my mechanical keyboard with it. So it's a very usable laptop keyboard. The trackpad is huge compared to mine. <laughs> Just getting used to that was kind of uh, something, you know, something of its own. But yeah, keyboard, great. I could definitely type for long periods on it. No problem with that. Well, okay. I just have, I guess, two more questions and then uh, you can let me know if there's anything else you want to talk about. But um, one of them is, okay, tomorrow you are put uh, the head of the the Apple MacBook division and you get to decide if any changes need to be made to this machine. It could be as selfish as, as possible. Like, I don't know. Do you want Face ID? Do you want a USB-A port? Um, is there anything in particular that you think that they can do tomorrow that could make this machine better than it already is? The 14-inch? Yeah. Okay. One thing. The one thing I would say is get rid of the notch. Okay. That's, yeah. If I could do a second thing, it would be go back to the two NANs for their, SS, for their base storage ah, SSDs. Yeah, that's a good one. But you... Most people probably won't notice the difference there, mm-hmm. right? Unless you come from faster writing SSDs and then you go down to the M2 Pro and you're like, oh, wow, this isn't copying the large, you know, I don't know, maybe you have 60 terabyte files that you need to transfer back and forth. Maybe then you would realize the difference, but they're still fast SSDs. Yes, it would be faster if it used two NANs instead of one, but it's still a very fast SSD. It's still a very fast device, you know, very fast RAM. So it wouldn't be something that you could instantly notice, like you would instantly notice the notch going away, mm-hmm. right? So if I had to, if there was only one thing I could change, it would be get rid of the notch. It's very unnecessary. It's, yeah, it's the definition of unnecessary. Two, second NAND to the SSD. I can't really think of anything past that, to be honest. I mean, that's a good sign, right? That's a sign that they're they're doing what they need to to make the best possible laptop. So j- just curious, you would rather them get rid of the notch than add Face ID? E, I mean, Face ID is great, but so is Touch ID. Yeah, yeah. Right? And they have Touch ID. It's so easily built into the keyboard. If, if I had, yeah, if I had to choose between either getting rid of the notch and not getting Face ID... Or keeping the notch and getting Face ID. I don't care about Face ID. Get rid of the notch. Mm-hmm. Just have a completely symmetrical bezel all the way around. Right. Oh. That's my opinion. I mean, I, I think that's that's a perfectly like normal opinion. I think when whoever designed the notch on this machine, um, I'm pretty sure someone had to think whether they said it out loud or not. Someone had to think. We could have just had symmetrical bezels. This this isn't necessary. I'm sure that definitely pop into someone's head. I will say, as someone who hasn't touched these machines at all, um, selfishly, I would love two USB A ports on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think most people will need that, especially with you know like dongles or even like um, USB C to USB A adapters and 
you know, a lot of peripherals now use USB-C, but just for me personally, as someone who still uses very old stuff, um, mm-hmm. a USB-A port would be nice. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear about this. It sounds like it's an awesome machine, and it, I, I think they just have a really good lineup. Like we've talked about in the past, the MacBook Air, which you also got to have some hands-on time with, the new version, and, you know, this machine, especially, you know, with this new Mac Mini, there seems to be, like, if you need a Mac, there is going to be one that's made specifically for what you need it for. And uh, sure, they might be expensive, but hey, it's a tool, right? And it looks like they, they executed on these things really well. Yeah, definitely executed very well. It's a couple more things, or do you have any more questions? No, 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 go ahead. A couple more things that I want to say. So screen, amazing. One thing that really caught me off guard was how amazing the speakers were. Mm. Like I was watching a video, I was listening to it with headphones, and when I unplugged the headphones, I was going to like, there's something I had to get in a different room. It's like, all right, I want to keep this video playing. I'm going to unplug my headphones, go get whatever I need to get. As soon as I unplugged the headphones and the speaker started playing the video I was listening to, I was completely caught off guard by how good the speakers were. Mm. Like, not extremely. They were very loud and amazing bass. And I was just like, I completely lost my train of thought. I didn't even, I couldn't even remember what I was going to leave the room for. And I just stopped and stared at the laptop and just watched the rest of the video. Once again, you're hearing from someone, right, with a mid-2012 MacBook Pro. So, as I said before, 10 years of improvements, you would expect them to, to be better. I guess I just wasn't ready for how good they would be. Something else that I think is also pretty is pretty interesting or something else that I think is noteworthy, right? Oh, by the way, I do have a review that's coming out this Friday. Whenever this podcast comes out, it'll be this Friday. So make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. You know, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Also, if it's after this Friday, if it's by the time the video is uploaded, then I'll add, I'll add the link to that video in this. But one thing that I say or that I'm going to say in my review is the M1 Pro is still a really good device. The M1 Pro MacBook Pros, the M2 Max MacBook Pros are still really good devices. Last year when they came out, every YouTuber said, this thing can completely run my channel. This completely changes the way I do work, what I can do on the road. This you know, this is overpowered for what I'm doing. That's what they said last year when the M1 Pro came out. Mm -hmm. So now that the M2 Pro and the M2 Max have come out, it doesn't change that at all. Those devices are still really good. They're still more than powerful for anything that those, you know, YouTubers with millions of subscribers, you know, running After Effects and running, you know, Logic and running Premiere Pro and all kinds of things is more than powerful for what they need to do. So it's still just as good. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who was going to get an M1 Pro or an M1 Max and you're like, all right, I have this money. I'm about to go buy this. These new devices coming out is like, you just instantly got a 20% bump in CPU, 30% bump in GPU, 40% bump in neural engine processing power. So it's like, hey, I was going to buy this device, but now it's like 20, 30, 40% better that's great yeah right you instantly get an upgrade without having to really do anything but 
if you're someone who is like, this M1 Pro is more than powerful for what I need to do now and maybe for the next 10 years, and you see that, hey, this M2 Pro device comes out, but it's like, that's even more overkill than it was, than the M1 Pro was. I don't need that. Yes, it's great. You know, I had the money. I was about to buy it. But if you still think, hey, I might as well just get the M1 Pro because the difference between this other than the boosted performance is Wi-Fi 6E, Bluetooth 5.3, HDMI 2.1. If you don't have any Wi-Fi 6E routers or you're not running into any sort of congestion or noticing slow speeds because the M1 Pros up until the M2 Pros came out were essentially the fastest devices on any network, mm-hmm. right? Most people weren't experiencing that much congestion with their Wi-Fi 6 devices. Bluetooth 5.3, that's more of a future-proofing thing, just like Wi-Fi 6E, but even more so. HDMI 2.1, everyone was saying last year that it should have been on that model because HDMI 2.1 has kind of been a thing, right? And when you're spending $2,000 on an Apple product, you expect it to be the bleeding edge edge of technology. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, why didn't you? They still didn't fix the fact that, what is it, UFS 2.0 on the... SD card slot that they still didn't upgrade the SD card slot on this either. Right. But anyways, HDMI 2.1 should have been on last year's model. It's on this year's model. Great. But if you're not someone who has an 8k display or an 8k TV that you want to power with your MacBook pro, it doesn't really help you out. It's kind of, it's a future proofing thing, which is good. Yeah. Which they should have done last year or which they should have done in 2021, which you know, everyone is glad that they did now, but unless you have 8K displays or you have external monitors that you want to power that are 120 hertz, you also are fine with HDMI 2.0. Yeah. So the, a long, long roundabout way to say, if you were fine with the M1 Pro MacBook Pro, it is still a great device that is still overpowered for probably most of what you're going to do. And it's instantly $500 cheaper on Apple's own website. Because up until the day they announced the M2 Pro and the M2 Max devices, they were still selling those at full price. Mm -hmm. So they have a huge inventory that they need to get rid of. So you could get refurbished ones. You can get clearance ones for the same specs, you know, the same great screen that I talked about, the same great speakers. Although some people are saying there's a slight alteration to the speakers, but they're still great right? The same really good keyboard that I mentioned, the same great trackpad, the same great battery life. I think the only thing that beats the battery life on the M1 Pro MacBook Pros is the M2 Pro MacBook Pros now. That's the only thing that beats it. Yeah. So when you compare it to a Windows, it still beats those. And technically, the SSDs on the entry level are twice as fast as the M2 Pro ones, mm-hmm. right? Technically speaking. So all of that that's in your pocket, or I guess in your bank account, or $500 that's not on your credit card, right? So M2 Pro devices, amazing. M1 Pro, still really amazing. Or still, I guess, whatever under amazing is, still great. Yeah. (laughs) Still really great devices. They're still overpowered for most of what you're going to do. So yeah, if, if you're looking for a new device, if you're looking for a new Apple device, especially, as you said, there are devices for everyone at almost like every price range. When you look at their desktops, right? When you look at the Mac mini, how it has 
M2, M2 Pro. You can go up to the Mac Studio. When you look at their MacBooks where it's, all right, you have a MacBook Air. You have a 14-inch MacBook Pro from last year. You have a 14-inch MacBook Pro from this year. Don't get the 13-inch. Please don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, my final statement. If I was in charge of Apple, the one thing I would do is cancel the 13-inch MacBook Pros, get rid of them, um, put that research and development into, I don't know, getting the notch smaller, or maybe add in Face ID to the MacBook Pros. But really, let's just get the notch smaller. Oh, and also Apple has them on sale for $500 off for refurbished or clearance ones. But then when you look at, you know, just regular electronic stores like Best Buys, like The Source, like, I mean, I don't think anyone has Radio Shack anymore. People <laughs> might not even know what Radio Shack is, but they still have, you know, thousands of MacBooks from last year that they still need to get rid of. Yeah. So even if they're not on sale right now, at some point, probably very soon, they're going to be having amazing sales on m1 pro and m1 max devices which would as i said for the past like 10 minutes still really great devices yeah uh i guess any uh closing statements for today well no i i mean i just want to say uh based on you know your hands-on with the with the uh the new m2 macbook pros can't wait for that review coming out on friday um, looking forward to that. Also, uh, maybe right about now, I'll put in a little clip of the uh, audio from the last podcast coming directly from the uh, the internal mic. And I'll do it completely unedited so you can actually get you know the raw sound of what that might be. All right. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to this week's episode. Today... We're talking about the Microsoft Direct X event. We're talking about Polestar upgrading their two and launching the three. We're talking about OnePlus and we're talking about more tech layoffs. And uh, on top of that, hopefully in the future is something I kind of want to have a conversation about, but um, there's some news I'll just go over quickly about some games shutting down in the video game industry, specifically live service games. So there's been Rumbleverse, uh, which is shutting down, and uh, Knockout City, which is also shutting down. And these are big games, um, you know, from pretty large studios that, that you know, supposed to be like, hey, you know, this is the type of game that you play every day, kind of like a Destiny or Apex Legends or a, uh, a Fortnite. And they don't seem to be doing that well right now. And uh, a lot of these games are getting shut down. And there's, in a lot of cases, there's no way to play them. So all that money that you would have spent on them is... is kind of just gone and disappears um i know uh i believe knockout city what they're doing is they're allowing for pc players to set up private servers so that they can still play um if there's a community there that wants to do that that's kind of cool but it, it's still at the point where you know a lot of these games are shutting down and will probably be gone forever for most people um but yeah i think this is an interesting conversation to have it, it, it's something we talked about a little bit when we talked about the launch of the last consoles and i mentioned i thought that this was a little bit too soon um for the playstation 5 and the xbox series x simply because video game development is just really expensive and a lot of that has to do with the graphics and you know trying to get things to work best in 4k and 120 frames per second and stuff like that which isn't really all that necessary um but yeah it, it's kind of just interesting i just want to throw it out there there has been some a little bit of 
of issues in the video game market that, that seem to be pointing at the, the industry becoming less and less sustainable. Um, and who knows, maybe if we start getting more stories like this, it might be a topic that we talk about in the future. Yeah, definitely could be. Yes, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.